You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Um, Lord, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Uh, thank you for this Christmas season. and uh, Father, we all are here with different needs, different um, different ways that we're weary, different ways that we're discouraged, um, different ways that we may be struggling. And Father, use this time to uh, comfort and encourage us, Lord. Um, use this time, Lord, to give us the joy that comes with knowing Jesus. So I ask your prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. Um, so this is uh, class two uh, of a series that's about Christmas, and um, the premise of this series is, you know, I, I always say capitalize, um, capitalize on your child's enthusiasm, capitalize on your child's spiritual interest. So, you know, for example, if you have a toddler, your child wants you to read you 200 stories. Um, and so, hey, great, if there is, if there is inertia heading in that direction, then they want you to read eight stories a night, then throw in two or three, you know, Bible stories, right? Um, and so Christmas is a time of year where your kid is generally spiritually interested. They're really excited about Christmas. Now, granted, probably 75% of that is they're excited about the presents they're going to get. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, they are naturally interested in and enthusiastic about um, something spiritual. And so the premise of this class is to um, talk about, like, okay, what are, what are some very basic central things that we can teach our kids and talk to our kids about Jesus so that they'll kind of get the core of the gospel and the core of Christianity. Uh, and so last week, um, Stephen Nichols talked about the, direction, the directionality of Christianity, how Christmas tells us that um, Christianity is a top-down religion. That God, uh, every other religion is about man's pursuit of God. Christianity is about God's pursuit of man. Uh, the arrow is pointed from heaven down to humanity. So that's that's something that that Christmas tells us very concretely. Um, this week uh, we're going to talk about how the meaning of Christmas, about how God reveals Himself to us. And so the the concrete hope in this class is that you know when you are doing whatever you do with Christmas, whether that's going to the nativity at Mount Berg Baptist or Briarwood or going to look at Christmas lights or whatever, and, uh, you know, a situation comes up, uh, you, you, you'll have something, something, you know, substantive uh, to tell your child about Christmas that will help, uh, help them in their relationship with Jesus and help them to understand what the Christian faith is all about. So, um, so this class, um, this class... To use a fancy word, is all about epistemology, right? Uh, any uh, any philosophy majors, any uh, any theology people who who can tell me? Well, you kind of already know. Kind of gave it away. Classic. Um, yeah, epistemology. Yeah, that's why I wasn't much of a teacher. Um, anyhow, uh, epistemology is basically the study or the philosophical discipline about how do we know about things? How do we know about things? So if you um, have the great fortune to read a, a systematic theology book that's usually about that thick, the first section of any systematic theology book is about epistemology. That's what it starts with, ways of knowing. Why? Uh, somebody tell me, why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, a whole system of theology, 
that go, talks about who God is and what sal, you know, what does salvation look like and who is Jesus and what is man like and, you know, all the, what is the nature of the sacraments? Why is it that epistemology is always the first chapter of, um, of a, of a systematic theology? Do I have an idea? Yeah, like, how do we know anything about God? Well, we have to decide on what is an authoritative sample set to determine, like, what are we basing this on, you know? I mean, can I, you know, look at this post here, and is this is this a valid, uh, you know, piece of authoritative revelation to tell me about who God is? Or look at the tree outside, or look at the news? Like, you have to decide first, like, what what represents who God is? Like, what is the data that tells us about who God is? What is the, 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 the corpus of information that is going to tell us about who God is, right? And so uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas is critical epistemologically because Christmas tells us that God can be known. And really, quite honestly, like in the, in the secular world, and just I don't want to say the secular world, but just in society as a whole, uh, religious people, secular people together, you know, the, really the bigger debate is can we know anything about God? And so that's what I'm going to start with. Kind of the, the flow of this class will be looking at kind of in the general public, you know, what, what, how, how do people make their determinations about who God is? Uh, what are people's epistemological systems? What do people determine um, is their data set for the most part? Um, as we see it in, 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 uh, in, in media and culture and movies and so on and so forth. And then secondly, we'll look at Christianity. We'll look at three, three means of revelation um, that Christianity deems like the authoritative ways that we know about who God is. Uh, and then finally, we'll talk about, um, and we'll talk about how Christmas is so central to that. But then finally, we'll talk about how you can distill this and communicate this stuff to a toddler, to an elementary age kid, to a teenager. So we're, we'll, we'll start kind of up in the clouds, but we'll get very concrete talking to a two-year-old by the end of it. Um, so to start out with, I want to show a few uh, movie clips. And these are, um, these are movie clips that are um, very revelatory about kind of the general consensus in you know, American society about how we know about God. So this first clip is from Little Miss Sunshine. Anybody seen Little Miss Sunshine? I mean, hilarious, right? And so this is the scene, uh, just to, <laughs> a little dark humor here. For those who have not seen it, the, the situation here is the grandfather. The family is driving to this little girl's you know, beauty pageant. And along the way, her grandfather has died. Died of a heroin overdose. <laughs> her grandfather got kicked out of a nursing home for uh, cocaine and heroin use. And um, anyhow, grandfather has, is in the back seat. Is, is rolled up dead in the, in the trunk. Because the dad is determined we're not missing the beauty pageant, like grandpa and funeral arrangements are just going to have to wait. <laughs> I know it's it's it is really funny, but anyhow, so there's this really interesting there is this I know, I know very dark, but there is this really interesting conversation that Olive, the little girl, starts to ask about what's going to happen to grandpa and starts to ask questions about the afterlife.
Right. <laughs> okay, so you can see, you know, like a really poignant scene here. This this little elementary age girl asking like very serious questions about the afterlife. Like, what happens to me when I die? What's going to happen to my grandfather who happens to be in the trunk right now? <laughs> you know. And then, you know, what is what in terms of like the epistemology here, uh, and you know, qu- questions of like a supernatural or spiritual nature. What is what does Dad or what does Uncle Frank have to offer? Nothing. I mean. You to think about the tragic nature of the uncle saying, probably like you know, 40% sarcastically to the, to the little girl, "Do you think I get? I'll get in?" And she says yes, and then says, "Do you promise?" You know, like that's like his assurance of salvation. I mean, it's obviously tongue in cheek, but but anyhow. So so you have uh, you know this sense of like uncertainty. Okay, so next we have um, this song. Some of y'all may remember. I'm trying to think of how old I was when this song came out. I was maybe high school or college. I'm not really sure. Uh, anyhow, but this was if what if God was one of us, and just kind of notice like the level of uncertainty that the speaker in the song um, has about who God is uh, and about how God feels about her. Sorry. Okay, so again, so you can kind of see, um, you can kind of see from these two uh, clips that the general consensus and like 
Western society is that we, we can't necessarily really know anything for certain about God. Like the spiritual realm, the supernatural realm is separate from us down here. And so with that being said, um, there is this uncertainty about who God is. There's this uncertainty about like what the narrative of life is or what the meaning of life is or you know, what happens after life and how do we have any you know, certainty for ourselves or any assurance for ourselves about what that may be like. And so what that leaves us with, it leaves people in a position where they are left to create and construct their own meaning. They're, they're, they're forced to kind of come up with their own answers. Um, of, you know, so basically, most people's in, in, in general society, their view of God is kind of like, it, it always starts with, I think. I think, because generally it's self-generated. Because epistemologically, there's no sense of like what is, there's, the, basically, epistemologically, what most of society believes about what we believe about God is it comes out of our own experience. Like what we see in the world, what we experience in life, what we think is ultimately what determines um, who God is and what life's all about. And so this is silly, and y'all, I'm, I'm probably, I'm not going to play it again, but I, I played this clip a couple weeks ago from Christmas Vacation where, um, uh, yes, I do, I do love this movie, um, where, you know, the family comes out and, uh, and they, you know, they see this, this, you know, star in the sky or this bright light in the sky. And uh, they, they're saying like, oh, it's Santa. And Uncle, this, this kind of uh, <laughs> moment of pontification, uh, the, the dad, Chevy Chase, says, no, kids, it's the Christmas star. Um, you know, why don't we just let Chevy Chase speak for himself? <laughs> Here it is. And you're going to see how he's basically... Constructing his own meaning. That's all that matters tonight. No. It's the Christmas star. That's all that matters tonight. Not bonuses or gifts or turkeys or trees. See, kids, it means something different to everybody. Now I know what it means to me. No Christmas, Christmas star. <laughs> All right. So anyhow, these <laughs> very serious questions um, being dealt with through Christmas vacation. Anyhow, so with that being said, um, you've probably heard if you were to say in a public setting, like you were to say in a college class, uh, you were to say, you know, in a in the, in the general public, if you were to make the comment. I believe that Christianity is the truth. I believe it is absolutely true, and I believe that all other world religions are false. Um, you would generally be you would be met with resistance. People would probably consider you close-minded, um, intolerant, and immoral for having such a view. And here's the thing: that comes out of a difference in epistemology, because here's the thing: if if you believe that we can't know anything about God then for somebody, and that we're all kind of constructing our own meaning, then when somebody says, like, what I think is right and everybody else is wrong, then that would come across as arrogant. So if I were to ask, um, let me see, who is someone here who has never gone to Waynesville, North Carolina? Mary Bradley. Mary Bradley, how many people do you think, on average, back in the 1980s, would eat at Granny's Chicken Palace 
uh, on a on a summer night, how many people do you think would eat there? Zero. Okay. <laughs> All right. So then I would say, well, actually, that, I, I, I grew up going there, and I would say there are usually about 200 people there, right? So now, if if neither of us had ever gone there, and I'm like, no, Mary Bradley, there are 200 people on average that eat at Granny's Chicken Palace. And we got into this debate where we were both like, no, I'm right, but neither of us had ever gone there. Neither of us ever had any kind of sample of, of information or sample of observation to base our opinion on, then that would be arrogant, right? Because we're, we're both, we just have blind opinions and we're both like very certain about it. But if I have gone there many times to Granny's Chicken Palace and I could say, no, they pack that place out. And I say, no, Mary Bradley, like, no, I really, I really do think about 200 people there. That's not arrogant. It's just my interpretation of data. It's my interpretation of what I think has been revealed about Granny's Chicken Palace, right? And so that's something important to know is in this conversation is that when this, this kind of difference of opinion that religious people, and when I say religious people, I would include Muslims, I would include Mormons, I would include Jews, and I would include Christians, because all of those religions are what you call historical religions. They all believe that God has revealed himself uh, in a way that is discernible to people. Um, so in Islam, they believe that God spoke to the prophet Muhammad through the Quran, And so they believe that their basis of who God is and how a person is saved is based on the Quran. So when a Muslim person says, like, I believe that the Quran is the truth, and I believe that the way prescribed by the Prophet Muhammad is the way to salvation, they're not being arrogant. They just have an epistemological system where they believe that we can know who God is based on the Quran. Same is true with Jews and the, and the Hebrew Scriptures. Same is true with Mormons, with the Bible, and with the Book of Mormon. And so it's just a difference in epistemology, okay? And so... Um, getting over to um, getting over to how do you know what do we think? What does Christianity say about how we know God? First off, let me just stop for a second. And I and this may be where you are, uh, but I would say that to me, thinking about like not really having any certainty about who God is, that to me is like it's very it's very scary for me. Like that creates a lot of despair. That conversation in Little Miss Sunshine to me is that that creates a lot of anxiety for me. This idea of like, well, what happens to grandpa? What's going to happen to me? Do I get in? Like those questions startle me. And so um, consequently to me, believing that God has made himself known to us uh, is very, very comforting. And that's one of the key things about Christmas is that God actually comes to us as a person and makes himself known in a way that is we can hear him, we can touch him, we can see him, we can observe him. Uh, secondly, too, shoot, what was my second point? Oh, talking about... Oh, another thing, too, is like this idea that God is loving and yet we can't know him. Those two things, are they, they are not compatible. Like that, that God cannot be loving and yet you really don't know who he is. Because, like, come on, if somebody loves another person and yet they, like, stand at a distance and they don't make themselves known, they don't communicate to the person, like, that is not a loving person. You know, like, an absent parent who loves their child, but has never made an attempt to get to know them, never sent them a letter, never, you know, spent time with them, like, that is not a loving parent. That's, a, that, you know, great on intention, high on intentions, low on execution, you're not a loving parent if that's, if, if you've never engaged your child, and you're, like, far off. Well, so with that being said, this idea that I think God is loving, but we can't know him, 
I just don't think the two, and, and it, you know, the two can go together. So, with that being said, how do we know about God? And so, in Christianity, we we believe there are three ways that we can know about God. First, um, is through creation. Uh, well, someone, someone mind reading this for me? Um, uh, Lauren, would you read? Uh, this is Romans chapter one, and uh, Paul is talking about how basically God has made Himself known in some manner to all to, to all of humanity. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay, so Paul says that God's invisible attributes, like who he is in heaven, like he has made it known through creation. Creation is obviously not God. Like we don't go worship the tree. We don't go worship the lake and the river. But it is an image of who God is. We see that God is beautiful. We see that he's glorious. When we see things like huge mountains and oceans and things like this, we know that he's greater than us. When we study science and we look at the intricacy of biological systems and all these kinds of things in the ecosystem, we, we know that, wow, God is brilliant. Like God is much smarter than I am. When we see things like hurricanes and tornadoes that are so powerful, like we know that God is, is much more powerful than humanity. And so with that being said, um, one of the ways we know about who God is is through creation. Um, God has, has made himself known um, in nature. And so that's part of when you ask a lot of people, you know, where do you feel connected to God? And a lot of people will say, wow, you know, when I'm in the mountains or when I'm by the ocean or when I'm sitting in a deer stand, you know, early in the morning, um, then, you know, a lot of that is because they're staring at uh, a way, they're staring at an image of God. And so this means that wives let your husbands go hunt because, no, just kidding. <laughs> Joke. Um, Okay, so anyhow, uh, I think we made it. Yeah, we don't need another one. Point clear. All right, second way that God has made himself known is through Scripture. And this, for us, is obviously the most, most valuable one because we don't live in a time where Jesus is physically on the earth. Um, but, so the second form of revelation is Scripture. Uh, let's see here. Ms. Kruger, would you mind reading 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Great. Okay, thank you so much. So it's saying that all of scripture has been inspired by God. Uh, the NIV, the, in terms of, instead of using the word profitable, it uses the term sufficient. Uh, so it's enough. And uh, it's, it's enough. And so... Um, yeah, and, and, and so basically, like, Scripture is the primary way that we know about God. It tells us about who he is. It tells us about how he feels about us. It tells us about how we come into relationship with him, you know, through faith and through grace. It tells us about the narrative of, like, where life is headed, about the afterlife, and about how we have certainty about being in the afterlife by reconciling with God through Christ. It tells us about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to treat people, what are the ethical and moral norms of life that lead to the most... Uh, fruitful life possible and to the best relationships both with God and other people possible. So that's what the Bible is. Does the Bible tell us everything? No, it doesn't tell us everything, but it tells enough for us to know uh, to know about who God is so that we can be in relationship with him. 
Um, and one other thing, too, when we say this, it's interesting to see like what Jesus' view on the Bible was himself. Um, this is a whole other class for another day. But um, would someone, uh, Julia, can you read that piece from there? Um, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's going to talk about the Bible, and you're going to see what Jesus' view on the Bible is here. Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me? If, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Okay, so there, there are dozens of verses where you can get a sense of what Jesus' view of the Bible is. But this, one, this one tells a lot. You see here, when Jesus is citing the Ten Commandments, and he says, God commanded. He doesn't say that Moses commanded, but he says that God commanded, and he's pointing to uh, the book of Exodus and what God said. He says at the end, he talks about tradition, these rules the Pharisees had that were kind of uh, in, in addition to the Bible. Um, and he says, you make void the word of God. And so, you know, Jesus viewed all of the Old Testament uh, as the word of God. And so, anyhow, so with all that being said, like, the second way we know about who God is is through the Bible. Um, and then finally, the most pure image of who God is is the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and so that is part of the incredible uh, value and nature of Christmas, um, that God comes to us uh, in a manner that we can discern, in a manner that we can see and hear. He comes as a human being. He speaks our language. You know, he not not just our language, but also our nonverbal communication. Like he is, God is communicating something about who He is when He is compassionate to the prostitutes and the tax collectors who come and and, and you know and, and kneel before Him. He's telling us something about who He is. Uh, when he is uh, frustrated with people who are making the temple inaccessible, the, the money changers in the court. You know, he's telling us who he is and the way that he worships God, so on and so forth. And so all of Jesus' life is a communication about who God is. Uh, and, so, um, and so we see uh, this incredible statement from John, at the beginning of John 1, um, about the incarnation, about Christmas, about the Word becoming flesh. So, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you talk about the glory of God, like that is the full uh, manifestation of who God is in heaven. And so what John is saying here is that Jesus, uh, now granted, Jesus was shielded by human flesh, but Jesus is the representation of the full glory of God. He goes on to say, John, John I'm going to skip that. Uh, just about John the Baptist. <laughs> for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's not saying that those two things are in opposition. He's just saying that God revealed himself uh, through the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. And now he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a complement um, to that. And he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side he has made him known. So basically, like, the statement is, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. Um, 
this is reinforced here in, in Hebrews 1, where uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to us, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, NIV says the exact representation, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, after making pure, anyhow. So he's saying like Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. Uh, last, uh, nope, nope, never mind. Anyhow, um, so with all that being said, Three ways that Christianity says we know about God through creation, through the Bible, through um, through Jesus. And so, with that being said, uh, you know, when we talk about Christmas with your child, you can say, you know, one one thing that's significant about Christmas is that God wants us to know who He is. He is not sitting far off. Uh, you know, He is not closed off in a in a castle, um, inaccessible to us. Uh, but instead, he has actually come to us, made himself vulnerable so that we can see him. And so when your child has questions about who God is, uh, we can point them to the Bible and who Jesus is attested to be in the Bible. If you can see Jesus, you can see God the Father. The two are interchangeable. Um, and so first question, you know, why does this matter? First off, like, it's a big question, like, who is God? Uh, your child is going to have lots and lots of disappointments. We all have lots of disappointments. And look, it's just, it's really, uh, I would say if we're left to our own experience, I don't see how anyone could think God is good if we're just left to our own experience, right? Um, I mean, maybe there are a few people who've like dodged all the bullets and everything has gone right for them. But for the most part, like for most people, life's really tough, you know? And, uh, and a lot of things have not, there have been a lot of tragedies or they haven't met, you know, things haven't met expectations. They've had some failures. They've been betrayed. And like, I think left to your own devices, I would definitely, I think I would feel like God is against me. Um, and so consequently, I think, I, I think I felt that way a lot as a kid. Like when, when things that I wanted to work out, like when, like when I was a bench warmer on the basketball team or a bench warmer on the baseball team, uh, I, I don't think I outwardly expressed this. But I did kind of feel like God is against me. You know, like, if God was for me, I'd be a starter. You know, if God was for me, like, I would have more than a three-inch vertical leap. Um, you know? Um, or, you know, I think, too, like, I think if for someone who is single, and this could be your child in high school, your child in college, or it could just be whoever whoever is in their 20s and not married, there's a sense of, like, God, oh, my friends are getting married, or my friend has a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like, why not me? Like, why not me? And, and there's a sense of like, you know, God is against me. This is a good thing that I want, right? Uh, and yet I don't have it. And so experience, I think, kind of defies the belief that God is good and he's, and he's for me. And so that's part of why it's so important. Uh, and we naturally don't believe that God's for us. That's just part of our sin nature. And so I think it's super important to always be pointing our kids to like, hey, look, Jesus Christ. Like, that's a statement of who God is. That guy who like came from heaven, he lived for you, he died on the cross for you, surely, surely God is for you. If God himself, as a person, would like die on a cross for your sins, surely God is on your side, right? Um, second thing of why this matters is uh, it, it speaks to the importance of like a Bible-centered life, a word-centered life. How important just reading scripture is for your child. 
Um, because like we don't we don't know anything about Jesus except from what's been revealed to us in the Bible. Like for every Christian who's you know lived um, after you know 32, 33 AD, like that is our entire impression of who God is through Jesus Christ has been entirely reliant on uh, the testimony of the apostles and the scriptures. And so um, and so with that being said, like. Uh, that's the primary way that God has revealed himself to us is through the Bible. So um, reading the Bible on our own, reading the Bible, whether it's a kiddie Bible or the real Bible, um, with your kid, for that to be a central thing is critically important. And it's, it's also, too, it's like it's such a, it's a gift we really take for granted um, in our country. There's a, do I have enough time to tell a story? No, I really don't. Dang, it's such a good story. Oh, well, or another time. Well, the basis of the story is there was a guy, he was a prisoner in a Vietnamese, um, uh, a Vietnamese prison camp. He had dissented against the communists when the communists took over Vietnam, and he had been put in prison. And um, he, uh, one of the things that they would do to demean him is they would make him clean out the, the toilets. They didn't have, like, running water. Um, and so uh, there was a general in the, um, general in the army and, and when the guy was cleaning out the toilet after the general used it, um, he found the general was using pages of the Book of Romans to clean himself up after he would go potty, shall we say. And so the guy gets Romans chapter 1, and it's covered with poop, right? Cleans it off, reads it. And every day after that, he is eager, he is eager to clean the toilet. Because these words of life, this, this message of the gospel that he had never heard before was now accessible to him because the general, page by page, was using the Bible as his toilet paper. Okay? And so this guy, like, it brought him so much life that he was willing, that he was, like, getting in poop to see, to hear the word of God. Okay? I know that's a tough, that's a, that's a tough story. Tough story, but that says something about the power of, of God's word and also says something to us about how much access we have to the Bible. Anyhow, I, I probably just need to wrap this up here. I'm going to wrap it up. So uh, on that note, let's start with toddlers. <laughs> okay, so finally, you know, how do you communicate this to a kid? I would say like to, in the toddler realm, uh, I, always, I always talk about Jesus as baby Jesus around Christmas. Because kids can, like, little children can identify with babies, right? They, they see them, I, I don't know about y'all, but, like, it seems like toddlers are really into babies, love babies. And so I always talk about the baby Jesus, kind of like Will Ferrell and Talia Knights. Um, but I talk about baby Jesus and how baby Jesus was actually God. Baby Jesus was God, and we could, and I use very, I want to use very concrete uh, terminology to appeal to their senses about baby Jesus and us knowing God. So, so we, um, we could see God through the baby Jesus. We could hear God through, through baby Jesus when he grew up. And, you know, and, and people could hear from God. Sorry, hear, we could see and touch. I'm appealing to the senses. And so I want to just help them know that baby Jesus was God. And like we, could, we can see who God is through the baby Jesus. All right, secondly, to a small child, um, I think it is key... Uh, to communicate to them that God wants us to know what he's like. You know, because when your child, when a child is in elementary age, they want friends, especially as they're getting towards, you know, middle school, adolescence, they want to know people. You know, they, that, 
the cool group, you know, they, they want to know the people in the cool group, or there's this friend that they want to have, and anyhow, but it's communicating like God wants to know you, like God wants to be your friend, and he has demonstrated that through coming to us at Christmas. He's demonstrated us by becoming, being born and living with us, and this is his way of saying, here I am, this is what I am like. So that's how I would talk about this, um, talk about this with a middle school, I mean, sorry, with a small child. Uh, and I would, in particular, would always be kind of pointing kids like that. And we, we can see Jesus in the Bible, pointing them to the Bible to see who God is and, and who, who Jesus is. And then finally, with a teenager, um, teenagers, you know, they come into this, this phase of, of uh, independence where they kind of, they want to have their own ideas. They want to make up their own mind about who God is and what their faith is going to be and what their spiritual beliefs are going to be and so on and so forth. And so, you know, part of why teenagers are so frustrating for parents and why they won't communicate with their parents is because they are breaking so hard for independence. And so I think a a way that I would communicate to a teenager about the significance of this is like, look, if you want to know about who God is, like, take a look at Jesus. I would constantly be making this link about Jesus Christ is God. If Jesus Christ represent who, represents who God is. Because look, I mean, everyone has a positive impression of Jesus, right? I mean, if nothing else, even if you, even if you like are an atheist, Jesus is really nice, right? <laughs> um, so anyhow, so, uh, so I would, uh, uh, and, and so I would capitalize upon that positive, um, positive impression that people have about, um, who, about, uh, uh, sorry, that positive impression that teenager naturally already has by linking, continually linking Jesus and God. Like, look, do you think, do you think you feel like God is against you? You feel like God has left you? Like, do you think Jesus would leave you? Do you think Jesus would be against you? So on and so forth. And, and, and generally, people have a lot more confidence in Jesus. A teenager has more confidence in Jesus than they necessarily do when we're talking about God in the terms of, like, God, if that makes sense. So, that's what I got. Um, wow. Last word. I mean, uh, you know, we're, God is not an absentee parent, you know, like he's not an absentee parent who just like pays the child support. Like he is a parent who comes to us and, you know, pursues us and makes himself known clearly. And so there's just so much comfort in that to know that like the person who's, who is in charge of everything, like we can see who he is and he's really good. And he really, really, really values our life. And, and really cares about us. So there's good news. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for uh, loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. And um, Father, I, I pray that, that for us, that um, our confidence in who you are would be centered in the person Jesus. And help us to, uh, help, I pray that we'd have opportunities to talk about that with our kids during this holiday season. And uh, just pray that we would have the, the joy and the hope and the comfort that comes with the good news that you have come and died for our sins to bring us into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.